what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. This is Chris over here. Hello. To my, both my left and right, because we're at a circular table, and he's directly across from me. So. There you go. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah? I'm doing well. Yeah, good. We always record on a Friday, and it's kind of worked out to be a good thing time-wise, because uh, you know, we get our Fridays, we get to kind of unwind a little bit and talk about some films, which is always a fun way to go into the weekend. Exactly. This is Foot Candle Films here on The Mesh, where we do discuss films, recent film reviews, as well as give some movie news and talk about some recommendations of films we think you ought to check out. Uh, we are a part of the Foot Candle Film Society, kind of our, our, our main organization that Chris and I run in Western North Carolina, showing films on a regular basis. We'll have a little bit of information about some events coming up in that film society, with most notably our film festival, yes. later on in the show. But first, before we do, Chris, let's take a mission. <laughs> We're on a mission to review Age of Ultron, the latest Avengers movie, I'm sure people out there, you've probably heard of it. I would think I think so. it's got a little bit of a marketing budget, maybe out on a <laughs> few, uh, maybe some Burger King glasses or something out there for people. <laughs> but we're going to follow up that review with something very different, but uh, I think it'll be an interesting discussion. The documentary, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me, about the country singer Glenn Campbell and his uh, bout with Alzheimer's disease. After we finish those two reviews, we're going to go in and uh, take a break. After that, we will come back with some movie news, a couple news items. We're going to recap uh, our visit to the River Run Film Festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. A few of the films we saw there that we really uh, were impressed by. And then we'll wrap up the show with our recommendations of something online film uh, that we think you ought to be checking out. Sound like a good plan? Sounds like a good plan. Let's hey, it works for us in the past. Us and our, our tried and true formula. <laughs> you know what? Don't let's not mix it up. Let's kind of keep to the formula for now. So let's jump right in and let's handle our first review, which is Avengers: Age of Ultron. Everyone screaming for mercy. You want to protect the world, but you don't want it to change. You're all puppets. Tangled in strings. Strings. But now I'm free. There are no strings on me. The Avengers. Age of Ultron, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. Poor Hawkeye, who didn't get much love at all in the first movie. Actually, he was brainwashed most of the time, if you recall, in the first movie. (laughs) These guys get back together. They bring in a few new uh, superheroes to join the ranks, all fighting against the very, very sinister, what's meant to be a dormant peacekeeping program called Ultron, but has now become a little more sentient and decides, you know what? Humankind, that's the reason things are bad, so I need to get rid of all humans. 
So you've got James Spader who's doing the voice and motion capture work, I'm understanding, of oh. the robot Ultron. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. You've got your typical guys playing the main heroes. you got your uh, uh, Chris Evans as Captain America. you got your Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. you got your Mark Ruffalo. you got your uh, Hemsworth, whatever that guy's name is, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Um, so all the, 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 the same group from the first one. A few new names added to the mix. We've got a Quicksilver. We've got a Scarlet Witch, although I don't think they're ever called those two names in the film. That's basically who they're playing. Right. With that, you've got Elizabeth Olsen, and then you've got... Boy, oh boy. I knew I was going to draw a blank Aaron on Taylor that. Johnson? Yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson. There you go. Which I think Aaron Taylor Johnson was somebody that I really panned pretty pretty bad in a, when he was in Anna Karenina. Wasn't that right? I believe you did hate that Okay, well, we'll see how yes. I came around on that now. So, Chris, you weren't the biggest fan of the first Avengers movie, from what I can recall. Correct. You were... Not really impressed with it. I was much more optimistic. I was much more positive on it. I had a good time with it. Sure. You, I, I, I got the impression, and I'm trying to recall back to, I guess, maybe three years ago when we reviewed the film. You thought it was just a lot of big spectacle, a lot of big explosions, a lot of big CGI. Maybe had a few little fun moments here and there, but it was very few and far between. Overall, you didn't think the writing was that impressive. You just didn't think it was really a great film. Right. Am I correct that, in that, that's a, that that's a good retroactive time. assessment there? Absolutely. So now, Chris, now that all the introductions are out of the way, we know who these characters are. We know what the Avengers are all about. Now the framework, the establishment has been set for who the Avengers are. And we've got this brand new villain that has been getting a lot of acclaim leading up to the movie that was going to be a great Marvel villain. Did this make this film a better experience for you at all? I already know the answer. I just want to hear and see, see if I'm right because in what I say. Because unlike you listeners, he can see my face. Well, as he's I just, doing this I've already written down, I'm <laughs> guessing not. <laughs> but go ahead and tell us why this still didn't quite work for you, because I know the answer on that. Okay, well, the thing is, going into this movie, because I had such low expectations for the first one, or after the first one, yep. um, I, did, I think I did like this movie better than the first one. Oh, really? Okay. I did. All right. Um, that just shows you my low opinion of the first one, I guess. But I still had problems, sure. big surprise, with this mm-hmm. movie. But let me leave this. I'll focus on the positive. I'll okay, accentuate sure. the positive. I like this one better than the first one because I felt like the storyline of this one was a little clearer and it was more interesting to me because the origin stories in the first one I felt kind of got really bogged down about like where everybody came from, how they united the team, and it just wasn't interesting. And then the, the big threat of like the aliens attacking. I, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't, didn't work for me. Okay. I see. Um, this one, you know, you know, kind of from the beginning, of course, like you said, the commercials inundated you with Ultron. He's bad. You know? mm-hmm. So you, you knew he was coming. You kind of understand how he's created, what his goal is. And so, okay. Um, so I liked kind of the story and the through line of, as far as what was happening. Okay. Um, I also, and I'm going to not do any spoilers because I, somebody out there might not have seen this movie yet. There's True, a chance. There's mm-hmm. a chance. Maybe they, you know, have had to work for two weeks straight and haven't been able to make right. it to the movie theater. I liked a reveal of some of Hawkeye's depth to his character. Yes. Um, I did not was not aware that was coming. That was from and that that was very surprising. And neither did to me. even a comic book geek okay, like so, me. Because I know you're more. I, I read read comic books, but I was more of a DC guy than a Marvel yeah. guy. So. I didn't know if you would be aware of some of the stuff that was going to happen. I found that very pleasing, surprising, and awesome. I agree with you. And there was never a moment in the first film that gave me the, oh, huh, that kind of mm -hmm. aha moment, I guess, that this film did with that stuff. 
also there was some um I'll say relationship building with mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. the Hulk yes. and things that that I there again I don't know if you would have seen that coming or if anybody no, no. would have seen mm-hmm. that coming. Okay, so that was kind of a curveball that was thrown by Joss Whedon that I also liked. There is a repeating uh, theme or not, I shouldn't say theme, a, a gag a repeating gag that I actually did like. Now I'll get to some that I didn't. <laughs> Captain America but, but, was it Captain America use of language? No, that's the one I didn't like. You didn't like that? No. I thought that was funny. Uh, at first, I thought it was semi-entertaining, but then after that, it lo- quickly went downhill. No, the one that I found, which does have a little bit of a payoff, was uh, centered around some fun-loving, making fun of people with the hammer, the worst hammer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that and was good. That, mm-hmm. that was done. And it had that, a nice payoff towards the end of the movie, Right, too. right. So yes. I, I like that. So those things right away made me like this movie better than the original. Okay. But you're right. Overall, when I take the movie as a whole... I felt Ultron was actually kind of an an empty villain in yes. itself. If it hadn't been voiced by James Spader, I think there would be nothing memorable about it at all. Because it was just a robot walking around. He never, I don't feel like he really ever said anything really cool or did anything really neat. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's kind of, whereas compare him to, even though I didn't like the film overall, Loki in the first, whenever he was on screen, he was very enigmatic. He said clever things. You felt like a sense of, I don't know, he just had some charisma. Now, granted, I realize it's a CGI character, so how do you, and they tried to do it with maybe James Spader's voice, but still, I think kind of a thankless job, and that kind of made the movie come down in my expectation. So, Well, on the like side of things, I think you and I are on the same page. the, The moments I liked the most out of this movie were the relationship building, Okay. With the Hulk, especially, and some of the dynamics he was building with the rest of the team. The little bit of uh, what we learned about Hawkeye and his uh, kind of background and kind of where he's coming from. Sure. It's one of those things where you don't think about, but then you think, okay, well, yeah, these guys actually have lives, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to start to learn a little bit about them. Right. Um, so I thought that was good. There was, a, there was a moment late in the film, that kind of a pep talk. Actually, Hawkeye has, I think, several great moments in the film. A lot better, better to make up for what I thought was really lackluster in the first film. But he had a great kind of a pep talk with Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, when, when they're in the middle of a big fight. And I thought could have been really hokey, but I actually thought it worked really well. It was like a, just a good, genuine, okay, yeah, this all is crazy. This all sucks what we're in. But here's what I need you to do, and right. here's why. And it's like, and it worked. He had some really good moments. I actually think he was my favorite part of the film, the moments he had, because it really did seem like they were trying to make up for kind of giving him the short shift in the first movie. That's Yeah, that's an interesting take, and I guess more along the lines, yeah, he probably would be my favorite character yeah. or person to spend time with. Um, there was the use of dream sequences and nightmare sequences that I thought was at least interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, they broke it up a little bit and made okay. things a little more challenging than maybe you would see in a normal superhero big big blockbuster movie. I thought that was interesting um, that each of the basically the Scarlet Witch kind of casts a spell on each of the Avengers in a way where they all go through some nightmarish or dream sequences or flashbacks. And just all those had some very interesting styles to them. They were chaotic and they were kind of creepy at times. And I thought that was interesting. I thought it was really good. I thought overall the movie was fun (laughs) for the comic book geek in me. It was a fine movie. It was good. I didn't love it. I do think it got to this point at this movie where I liked the Avengers, the first one, because it never went too over-the-top crazy CGI okay. to me like it could have, given the characters that you're dealing with. Sure. It still felt fairly restrained and felt 
more personable in the first movie. This movie, it's kind of thrown that out the window. It's like, nope, we're going to go big, and it's going to be big CGI spectacle, and it's just going to be major crazy action nonstop. <laughs> so I actually liked it when things stopped, slowed down, and were, were more interesting to watch. So sure. it didn't feel as, as human to me as the first film. It didn't quite have quite as many fun moments for me as the first film. But I do think story-wise it was a better cohesive story. Okay. And I like the fact that I think they got the characterization of the different uh, members of the team really – they've got it down to a science now, and I think that played off okay. So I'm, t- I'm torn whether I like it better or not or, than the first one or not. I'm probably about the same just for different reasons. Sure. Um, I liked different parts of it better than I did the first one. But I do agree with you about Ultron. I think Ultron was a disappointment as a villain. He either wasn't menacing enough or, he, like you said, he wasn't cool enough. They almost tried to make him a little juvenile at times, and I don't know if that was because he's supposed mm. to be based off of Tony Stark's personality. I see. But it's like, that's not the Ultron I know, at least. It's, I mean, he <laughs> is just scary. Right. And I never got scary from this Yeah, this I never villain. thought he was, yeah. yeah. No. Never so either you got to make him kind of quirky, funny, jokey, but also terrifying at the same time, or you got to go all out and make him scary. And he didn't go either route with that. So. Sure. So overall, I was fine with the movie. I wasn't ecstatic about it. Um, but I think it, I think it did serve its purpose fine. Um, has Joss Whedon, is he doing the next Avengers no. movie? No. Joss Whedon's done with He's Avengers. Done. He's done with the, the Marvel heroes for now. So huh, That's interesting. Because yeah. I know they have other, like there's the Captain America is going to be like a Civil War like yes. idea. And not Civil War as in like. North versus the South, right? right? This is Civil War as far as like other than, okay. Yes. Um, it's a, God, here comes my, here uh-oh. comes my comic book geek out. Uh, the Civil War in the comic books was the idea of whether or not superheroes should be publicly registered or not. Okay. Kind of like an X-Men type thing. There you go. So it's like those that were in favor of publicly registering superheroes and being public uh, identities or staying secret. I see. And Captain America was on one side, Iron Man's on another, they fight. Huh. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of the premise I'm hearing with the movie. It's Iron Man is going to be in the next Captain America well, movie. Okay. Actually, almost all the Avengers are. Huh. The Captain America movie is really going to be like the next Avengers movie. Interesting. But it's going to be this whole split between superheroes. So, huh? Yeah. Because I, I, where this movie ended up, um, you know, I, I was kind of irritated. You know, and it's not Joss Whedon's fault. I think, you know, I, I'm no longer in the fanboy stage. I'm old enough now that I don't. You know, I'm not just happy these movies are being made. I kind of mm. go to the theater to want a good movie. And I thought this one was just okay. You know, it's just, but I get irritated where I feel like so much of what they're doing in the movie, instead of trying to be a good movie, is just being, is taking care of the franchise, yes. of the comic book stuff, so that there can be a sequel. Right. Okay. And so, like, the introduction of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, it's like, okay, we're adding, you know, it's constantly dumping more people in, mm-hmm. dumping more people in. And this movie starts out with the Avengers, but then they show some people that were mentioned in the Captain America movie. I can't remember the guy who has bird wings and flies around. I can't remember. Falcon. Falcon. <laughs> so they, they show him mm-hmm. and they show um, War Warhammer or War Machine. <laughs> so, you know, they, they bring these people back in. I'm like, you know, enough. How, how much is enough? You just can't keep cramming in. But I will say, there again, I'm not going to do spoiler territory, where this movie ended with kind of the setup of the Avengers as they were, I was like, you know what? That's going to make for a really interesting, and it's interesting that Joss Whedon is stepping away, because in a way, I feel like 
there's no way that movie could succeed <laughs> based on kind of how the Avengers, you know, they're, I, don't, I don't know, just the makeup of the Avengers yeah. without getting too detailed. You're just kind of like, huh, that seems kind of like, I don't know. It's past nah, its There's, there's a big plan in it all. So, I mean, they've got their next, I don't know how many movies million. plotted out <laughs> on this stuff. That's they fair. know what they're doing on it. I think we're going to see this next version of the Avengers in a couple of the side project movies for a while. Hmm. But then when it comes to the next big Avengers movie, I guarantee you all the big names will be back on the table. That's just my guessing on that. So, um, yeah, you know, again, it's, it's had some good moments. And again, if you're a, a superhero comic book uh, guy and you know your history on things, there's enough little nuggets of, you know, hey, check this out and hey, name drop this name and show this, that it was cool. I will say again, I'll just let the geek come out a little bit. <laughs> so there's a new character introduced in this film towards the end of the film, like in the last 30 minutes. Okay. That is a very classic Avengers character. And this is a classic Avengers character that in the comics later on actually develops a relationship with the Scarlet Witch. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. Yes, it is. So, <laughs> and it was deemed interesting at the time when it came out in the comics as well. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of moments where even though they don't have any dialogue with each other, he swoops in and carries her off at one moment to save her. And it's a little bit of a, oh, yeah, they, they're totally winking at <laughs> I us. I can see that where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> so there's enough of those moments where it's going to keep the fans really happy. Uh, the action, I think, was fine. Again, I don't think Josh Whedon's the best action director. I think the scenes got more chaotic this time, and it's just harder to follow. Well, and and maybe part of that's just me getting older, too, but dealing with these things, but... Well, and I think, you know, because they, they make these movies for a certain segment, you know, mm. and we're so taking it for what it is, I don't feel like we fit into that segment. So do we still say it's okay? Yeah. But I think what holds me back from liking it more is I'm judging it based on Joss Whedon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think with the first movie, I felt like I couldn't even tell he was in it or he had anything to do with it. This movie, because of the touches we mentioned about like Thor's hammer or the relationship building and some mm. of that stuff that was going on. I felt from the limited note or limited scope I have of what he does and like his whole thing, the Joss Whedon mm-hmm. touch, I felt like I could tell he had more of a part in it. Mm, okay. And yeah, the, some of the weaker stuff to me, I hated that opening action sequence because there were people like flying in the woods and I felt like I could just tell that they were little CGI, like oh, cartoons. Being the CGI was everywhere. really bad in that first sequence. And I, I really, 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 although I will say it. I like the first opening of this better than I did the opening of the first Avengers movie, which was just so weird and kind of just started with real little energy and just, it felt strange. This one, I kind of like the whole James Bond opening pre-credits moments where he's already in the middle of a mission and, you know, you're just kind of following along. But, yeah, the CGI was really, really bad in that first sequence. Yeah, being in the middle of a mission didn't – yeah, but the CGI was just yeah. bad. Yeah, I'm I'm going on a on the whole five-star rating. I'm, I'm batting between three and three and a half. I mean, oh, okay. I did feel like it was a good movie. I will look forward to seeing it again at some point. But I'm not going out singing its praises either. So that's where I am with it. I'm going to just, I'll go with a three. (laughs) So you were okay with it, but it was not a good movie in your mind. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So that's Avengers Age of Ultron. I'm sure it'll be playing through like probably December or something. So the movie theaters (laughs) uh, is making a lot of bank right now. So that is uh, out and obviously something you can see in the local multiplex. Uh, well, let's move on to our second review, though. Completely different film. Like we like, we like to pair up films that are very different from one another. Just we to try different ones to talk about. We try. And this is a documentary called Glenn Campbell. I'll be me. Glenn Campbell has been making music history for decades, and he still is. 
He took country music to new heights and became a global superstar. He was the first singer to win in both country and contemporary categories in the same year. Who is that? That's Billy. Billy? And who is she? That's your second wife. You were married for 16 years. Oh, really? You divorced. And then you met me. This indicates that in all likelihood, your difficulties are due to Alzheimer's disease. With Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me, we have a documentary mm-hmm. about a musician, which we've talked about. Uh, documentaries in the past have talked about music and talked about you know actual real people. But this one is also documenting Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Alan, when you went into this movie, you know, you knew it was about Glenn Campbell. You knew that he was someone who was coming down with Alzheimer's disease and struggling with it. How did you think the movie balanced between you learning about Glenn Campbell, the person, which I knew very little about. Same here. And balancing that with learning about him as a person, as well as exploring the Alzheimer's disease notion of the film. Which do you think it, do you think it did a good job of balancing that? Or do you think it was more of an exploration of... Alzheimer's disease. I think it did a really good job of balancing it. Okay. But I will also attribute that to be one of the film's faults. Ah. Is I think that it got, it was a little too cursory on all the fronts because it was trying to balance it all. Okay. We have a documentary here that is a, let's follow a performer as he goes out on a concert tour. We've seen documentaries like that plenty of times. So that is, yeah, that was lack of me in the the setup, but yes, the, the framework of this film Mm seemingly is that he is diagnosed with Alzheimer's and then kind of decides at that moment, I'm going to go out and do a farewell tour. He made, he recorded his, uh, an album. Sure. He wants to go out and tour for it, but the Alzheimer's diagnosis came in. They said, you know, let's just go make this kind of a farewell tour then and see how it goes. As a tour documentary, that was one angle of it. Then you've got it as a a little bit of a documentary on his life. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you had it as this more like a health education film about Alzheimer's and dealing with it. Sure. I wish any of those three were deeper than what we got. But I will say, if you're going to combine those three elements into a film, this film did it really well. It's just, it's one of those things where I kind of, by the end, I either wanted to know more about Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. or I wanted to know more about Glenn Campbell's career. And I felt like the film balanced those two and tried to give you both. And did it in an interesting way. I think the framework was, of the film was good. The pacing and the flow of it, how they wove in Alzheimer's information while also showing his performances and giving you some, some music to listen to. It's just I felt like both had to be a little more cursory to make this a, you know, an hour and a half or two hour long movie. Sure. So um, overall, I liked it. Okay. I did. I just – it's one of those – you know, when we talk about sometimes like biopics or all that, we always say when, when we see a film that's acting out somebody's life – especially a musician or artist, would we rather have seen a documentary about that or would we have rather seen it acted out? I'm so glad this was a documentary oh. and not a dramatization of it. 100% Because I think it was just, I felt like I connected with it so much more. Uh, anyway, what do, what do you think? I would agree. I, I, was, I wish there would have been a little bit more. The part that I found lacking was the backstory stuff on Glenn Campbell. Yeah, me um, too. Because I wish I would have known, you know, the Rhinestone Cowboy. That was the song he sang. I'm like, okay, I remember that song. <laughs> and, you know, you, granted, you see him is, perform it later in the, in, the, in, the, in the film, but up until that point, I'd forgotten that, oh, that, that was him. <laughs> and, you know, you're right. We never really, other than a montage at the beginning during the opening credits, a really fast montage, you didn't really get a progression of right. him becoming a singer and then – but I also don't think that was the point of the film. The point was to say, listen, we assume you already know who Glenn Campbell is. Let's show you where he is now and what's going on with him. So. Right. So I think, 
And I guess a, a positive of that too could be that, you know, I wanted to know more about Glenn Campbell, but okay, say you already knew about Glenn Campbell, okay, then it wouldn't bother you. Mm. Or if you didn't really care mm-hmm. about who Glenn Campbell was, all you wanted to know was about his struggle with Alzheimer's, then you'd be set as well. You know, you don't really care about yeah, the backstory. Right. So I'll say too that with the framework of the tour, I think it, I was thinking in my mind, you know, there's this guy, he's very courageous, and they had people, you know, say, oh, I think it's such a great thing that he's going out and doing this, even though he has been diagnosed with mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. That whole kind of setup made me a little afraid that it was going to kind of have a rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. type notion that, oh, isn't it awesome? Why don't all Alzheimer's patients, you yeah. know, do something this like this? But no, I felt like they tried to balance it and tried to show that it was tough. It didn't always work. Yeah. He had to have a teleprompter. You know, it was it was a struggle for the band as well. He would get kind of agitated. Mm-hmm. So and they, I, they showed those moments, they which was they didn't back away impressive. From that. It was unflinching in that area. Well, you know away. what? You were talking about those little testimonials from like uh, other musicians mm-hmm. or, or people that knew him. What I really liked about the film, which I thought was a nice touch, is that you had those weaving in, and yeah, I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit during some of them. It's like because all they're doing is building it's just them heaping up. them praise, heaping them praise. But then they did something really interesting with a lot of them. They actually, the last interview clip you heard of these different performers, Bruce Springsteen, Mm -hmm. the drummer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Mm -hmm. uh, Brad Paisley, Mm -hmm. was they related to a family member of their own that had Alzheimer's. And I thought Brad Paisley actually had the most, like, wow quote where he's basically like, I know I'm probably going to have it just because of history. So I really hope somebody fixes this thing in the next 20 years. And it's like, okay, so they did something really cool where they interviewed these people. And you just think to talk about Glenn Campbell, but right. really they're all able to relate to this disease. And that I thought really did a nice touch towards late in the film. It was a nice surprise yeah. of how to use those testimonials to not just play this guy up, but let's talk about the issue at hand and show how everybody's affected by it. I thought that was really impressive. So I, I think something else that, you know, and they would, they pointed it out in the film, but they pointed out in the film as um, relationship to the tour that they were going on about the legacy of Glenn Campbell, you know, mm-hmm. would this tour tear it down? Right. And even though I didn't have a stake to Glenn Campbell's legacy one way or the other, but I worried about the film mm-hmm. being maybe a little exploitative mm-hmm. about, you know, about Glenn Campbell. Like, you know, was it going to make me uneasy? And I feel like, oh, I, I don't think it was. I mm-hmm. think it tried to be honest. I think it showed him as a person. It didn't put him up on a pedestal. Right, no. Because you know, he, he admits, you know, they don't really go into it a lot, but he, early in his career, or in his career, he had problems with drugs and alcohol. Yep. He's He had been, had marriages that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So Kids just, he felt disconnected from. Right, they didn't all, just yeah. make everything rosy. But there's a point towards the end, after he's been struggling with Alzheimer's, they, you know, are interviewing him a little bit, and he kind of says, you know, if what I'm doing has any has any impact on anybody about Alzheimer's, if it can help in any way, then, you know, I'm, I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. if, if this had any effect at all. And I thought that was, I thought that was pretty powerful. Yeah. And that made me think like, okay, as much as he can be, he's kind of aware of what's going on. And he's like, you know, I'm cool because it's making an awareness of Alzheimer's. Yeah. So I, I thought it was honest. I thought unflinching at times. And I thought courageously. So good concert footage. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, good, good performance footage. I really like the interweaving of the celebrity interviews later on, even though they were concerning at first. I liked the way that they came about at the end. Yeah, I thought put together well, edited well. It was, it was a good documentary. I definitely, I, I enjoyed it. I did. I thought it was good. 
And uh, I gave it a four out of five. I mean, I, I think to me I it's think a strong. I'm, I think I'm right there with you. I think it would be a, yeah. a four out of five for me as well. I, I recommend it. And I'll, I will actually go back and say this is kind of a flash or a reference to our Oscar show. I remember you, I think you chose. Um, well, the song was nominated. Not going to miss you. Yeah, yeah. the song mm-hmm. was nominated. And I was like, how could anything but the Lego movie <laughs> song you know, win? And obviously it did not win. Yeah. <laughs> Hearing this song again and seeing after seeing the movie, yeah. It's another one of those where I felt like the context of everything just really kind of hit home. And yeah. I thought it was, I see why it was nominated. Yeah. So it was awesome. When we did the screening here in, in uh, our area of the film, we actually had somebody from the Alzheimer's Association there to talk after the film okay. a little bit. So that was really interesting. But it's also key to note that I think the last update I heard at Glenn Campbell is definitely what's considered late stages now with mm. Alzheimer's. So it's kind of sad that it could maybe not very long before we hear of his passing just because of that. So a little, you know, sentimental subject there with that, but it was a good film. I think it's well worth people seeing, especially I will say if somebody is thinking either a family member dealing with Alzheimer's or are concerned about it, there are some interesting notes about how to deal with people Mm -hmm. in Alzheimer's and kind of just understand the state that they're in and find themselves in a lot that I thought was really interesting. And actually I think can help people, who may be trying to find a way to deal with that illness in their own family. So I thought that could actually be a helpful documentary as well. I'll have to get our intern to research it and put it in the show notes as a link. (laughs) But um, this isn't my recommendation, but I guess it is. But I'm just going to mention it because talking about music and one of the things you mentioned about how to kind of deal with Alzheimer's and they kind of say, you know, for Glenn Campbell, it was always music. And he Mm -hmm. was able to, that kind of, and the doctors kind of comment, yes, because that was so important in his life. It's, probably keeping him going mm-hmm. longer than you yeah. know, he's having better success with things because he's able to grab hold of that. There is a documentary that came out two or three years ago. I'll get it put in the show notes or a link called alive inside. And it mm-hmm. all deals with going into retirement homes or nursing homes and playing music for people that do have Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and how it kind of helps them a little bit. Um, so that's interesting. If you're interested in that subject as well, that's yeah. when I'll put a link to in the show. Very notes. Cool. All right, so that's Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think you'll have too many chances to see this film unless there happens to be a community screening or special screening of the film in the next few months. I don't think it's slated to go to DVD or online release until sometime in the fall, okay. late in the year 2015. So uh, unfortunately, it may be a little tough to, to catch up with, but we do recommend that when it does come available and you have a chance to see it, we do think it's worth uh, checking out and seeing. So, Absolutely. So Chris, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about some movie news, talk a little bit about uh, the film festival we attended recently, and then we'll wrap up the show with our recommendations of the episode. So this is Foot Candle Films here on the TV. We will be right back. I'm with the band on the TV, features regional music acts discussing their craft and live performances. Subscribe to I'm with the band on the TV and swim around in the heads of your favorite regional musicians. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Chris and I took a quick little siesta. We're back. We're refreshed. <laughs> we're ready for the second half of the show. Let's do first, it. First half, we did our reviews of Avengers Age of Ultron and Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. Both movies with a title and a subtitle, semicolon. Did you True. notice that? Or a colon between them. <laughs> I did Interesting. not think of that. Pri- wow, I did not make that connection when we planned the show out. 
Uh, let's move on to some uh, movie news. But before I do, I just want to take a quick moment and we're going to indulge you in something that we're excited about and want to talk about for a moment. Uh, the Foot Candle Film Society, which is the founding society that Chris and I started back in 2008. Yes. Gosh, seven years ago, really? I know. Crazy. So we started this film society. We're up to about almost 550, 600 members, somewhere mm-hmm. in that neighborhood right now in Western North Carolina, getting together, showing films once a month. And uh, we said, you know, it's, it's time to do a film festival. Let's do it. We've got enough people behind us. Let's go. So I think we mentioned this on a previous episode, but we have one scheduled for September 25th through the 27th of 2015 this year. It's going to be in Hickory, North Carolina. The, the, uh, the, 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 the center of activity in Catawba County is uh, with regards to what we're trying to do arts and culture-wise and what the film, Fifth Candle Film Society has been doing. So the film festival is going to be held at the Salt Block Auditorium, in Hickory, North Carolina, that weekend in late September. We are in the film submission process. We've gotten tons of really good films in so far that Chris and I have had the honor and, uh, and joy of getting to watch some of those, along with our screening committee that will be making the final decisions for the films to show our opening weekend. It will be our first festival. It's going to be just a weekend long to start, but hopefully we can see it grow over the, over the coming years. But we would love for you guys to be involved. A couple of different ways you could do it. If you're listening to this show and you're listening to it before... I'll say before early part of June, and you've got a film that you think would be, you'd be interested in submitting to the festival, go to footcandle.org, follow the button or link for the festival, and you'll be taken to a link where you can actually submit your film. Uh, it's a $10 submission fee. Uh, if you want to see about a waiver, you can reach out to us by email and see about that. We can talk about that. But otherwise, we want to try to get your film in and considered and to look at for the submission process. Uh, that's one way you can get involved. Now, if you're not a filmmaker, but you would be interested in traveling to Catawba County, North Carolina, the last weekend of September, we would love to have you come join us as a guest. There will be information about the festival put up more in the July timeframe, maybe going into early August right. on the website about schedule and how you can buy tickets and all that good stuff. So either way, we would love to have you involved either as a filmmaker or as an attendee at the film festival we're put together in late September. Chris, did I miss anything with that? Is there anything we need to cover? Uh, We're excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of people helping us work on it. Great committee uh, planning this thing. It's going to be a lot of fun. So footkindle.org will be your hub of information. There will always be a button and a link to send you to the the, uh, other site about the festival and keep you up to date there as well. So, Chris, let's move on to some movie news. I've got two stories. I'm trying to decide which one I want to bring up first. Okay. Let me do the one first that I just think is interesting. doesn't tell us a whole lot about this film, but it's just because it's, it's filmmakers that you and I are obviously very, very interested in and are big fans of. Okay. I thought let's just kind of throw a little update in their, their latest project uh, out there. So, the Coen brothers. Okay. Uh, that would be Ethan, Ethan and... and What's the other one? Joel. Joel, that's right. Ethan and Joel. You're so used to just calling them the Cone Brothers. I know. How crazy is it? That's <laughs> how you're referred to as just the Cone Brothers. True. Uh, their latest film that they're finishing up or working on right now is called Hail Caesar. Okay. And supposedly it takes place in the 1950s Hollywood. It's a behind-the-scenes Hollywood type of thing. Sounds good. Which I'm already on board right away. I don't need to know anything else. I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> Here's the cast. Channing Tatum. Okay. Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Josh Brolin, George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, Ray Fiennes, hmm. Jonah Hill, Francis McDormand, Fisher Stevens, hmm. Clancy Brown, Christopher Lambert. That's like Highlander, right? Yes. 
I believe so. And this is the one I'm the, I brought this news item for okay. because this is the article I read. And I really cannot believe this guy is going to be in a Coen Brothers film. Dolph Lundgren. Wow. Dolph Lundgren is, may remember, it was the Russian He's like an action hero boxer oh, but yeah. in Rocky IV. That was like his big claim to fame. He was, I don't remember his name. Oh. Unfortunately, oh gosh, what was his name? Stereotypical Russian boxer. Oh, but he was the, he was the Russian <laughs> Soviet right. boxer sure, sure, that sure. fought uh, Rocky in Rocky IV. Right. He's since then he really hasn't. He's gone to B, C, D level movies, action movies, and all. He's I think he was in the, the Expendables. I was about to say, has he been in the? I think he got a little franchise. bit of a resurgence there. But he plays a Russian submarine commander, which okay, perfect. Okay, <laughs> I can see that. Uh, supposedly, Channing Tatum's character in the movie wants to defect to the Soviet Union because he loves communism because he thinks they have great uniforms. Huh. That's all Dolph said in an interview, and that <laughs> Dolph gets to play a submarine commander on that storyline. Okay. It doesn't sound like it's a very big part. I'm sure it's probably like a little small little cameo bit, but still. Still. You look at that cast. It's 1950s Hollywood. I'm guessing it's a comedy just from everything I'm hearing about it for the most part. Right. Uh, could be a lot of fun. And, you know, the thing is, I was not the biggest fan of Burn After Reading. No, neither was I. Although that was the last one that I think was a comedy mm. with a big sprawling cast. Wouldn't it? They haven't really done a big cast comedy since right. Burn After Reading. Because they did True Grit and they did um, the uh, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. What do you uh, call it? Right. Lewin Davis. Being Lewin Davis. Yeah. So, you know, they've kind of gone a little bit more away from the comedy. True Git was the Western drama. Then you got uh, um, uh, Lewin Davis, which was definitely sing- more dramatic. And they did, um, was it A Simple Man? A sing- yeah, A Simple Man, but that was... Uh, that was a while ago. I think that was actually before Burn After Reading. Wasn't was it? it? Okay. It might have been, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I'm happy to see them trying comedy. There have been a little hit or miss on comedy in the last 10 years. You, know, you had The Lady Killers, which didn't work out too well. Burn After Reading, I didn't care for too much. Sure. Um, I've definitely been a bigger fan of their dramas in the last several years than I have their comedies. But, again... I love anything that's set in that kind of 1950s Hollywood period. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And they've got a huge cast. It's probably one of the biggest casts I've seen them put in right. on one of their films. So we'll see what happens with that. But Mr. Dolph Lundgren coming to a Coen <laughs> Brothers film in a major multiplex here in the coming months. How crazy is that? It is crazy that I want to see a movie that Dolph Lundgren is going to be in. <laughs> you, yes. I, I am surprised by it that. It is awesome. All yes. right. Okay, the second movie news item I wanted to bring up, and Chris, I'm very sensitive to the fact that you don't really want to talk about the new Star Wars movie, hmm. and I'm not going to. And I have not seen the trailer, okay. the, new, the new trailer that has right. come out. I will not spoil anything about the new trailer okay. that shows a resurrected Darth Vader. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm kidding. It doesn't, but... I'm not going to spoil it for you. Yeah, I'm trying to. I mean, if I see the trailer in the movie theater, I'm not going to get up and walk out. But I'm not going to. But I admire you for trying to keep yourself fairly pure about this. I'm trying. Managing expectations is what you're doing. That's right. However, I will say on the Star Wars side of things, uh, they've released a couple of pieces of information the last few weeks I thought are, are interesting about their Star Wars universe they're creating in the film, the film world. So you've got episode seven. And then a couple years later, it's going to be episode eight. And a couple years after that, episode nine. We know that. Right. They've started a series of Star Wars anthology movies. These are going to be one-off movies that are going to be supplementing the Star Wars universe, but are going to be standalone movies. Do they come out 
and years in between? Or? Yes. Okay. So the first one that will be coming out in December 2016, next December. Gotcha. Where episode seven is coming out this December. Gotcha. Is going to be Star Wars anthology Rogue One. Now Rogue One means it was oh, part of the X-Wing um, oh, okay, squadron yeah. Sorry. back yes. in uh, the original trilogy. The New Hope or whatever. That's yeah, right. Okay. So I don't know anything else about this other than Gareth Edwards is the director who did Monsters. Yes. And then did Godzilla. Godzilla. Right. Okay. I'm very excited about this. Ben Mendelsohn is supposed to be in this, as like well it. as Felicity Jones, who I did actually really like in The Theory of Everything as uh, Stephen Hawking's wife. Got you. The name, I was like, who is that? But yeah. yeah. Right. So that's Rogue One. That's okay. going to be one of the first spinoff movies in the Star Wars universe. Okay. My guess is, actually, I'm not even a guess anymore because this has been confirmed by MDB. Okay. It's about rebels setting out for a mission to steal the plans for the Death Star. So okay. basically, what led up to their mission in Episode 4, A New right. Hope, right. to go attack the Death Star, this is them getting the plans for the Death Star. That sounds amazing. Yep. I'm on board. The second one they just announced in the last week. Tell me which character you think it's about because it is I, about one character. I, 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 Rogue One, I'd forgotten his name of his ship was Slave One, not Rogue One. So is it Bo, it's Boba Fett? It is Boba Fett. Yeah, okay. Boba Fett has the next Star Wars anthology movie coming out in 2000. I guess it'll be 2018 at that point. Right, okay. Um, huh. I don't know anything more We don't know director it. or anything. Uh, what kind of surprised me is that from what little bit I saw, I mean, I see stuff come across Twitter and if it reveals plot details of the of the new movie coming out in uh, December I won't read it but I did see that yeah Boba Fett and that it's supposed to be a little bit of an origin story but to me I don't know that I need much more of an origin story after I mean I know people slam the uh, episode one two and three but I you know you saw Boba Fett had a dad you saw Boba Fett's dad didn't didn't make it (laughs) didn't make it he didn't make it people Mm. And that right there is like, okay, I can see why he would be angry. I can really see why he wouldn't like Jedi's. Got it. Clear on that. I don't know that I really need a whole lot more development. But if, if it can make a good movie, okay. Well, I, I think there is a room to explore the character after he's already starting to be an established. He's decided he's going to be a bounty hunter as a young adult. And maybe the first few years of him being a bounty hunter and setting a name for himself and creating his identity of Boba Fett. That hmm. could be interesting to me. I don't the, need to know from the challenge, birth and I, to whatever. I will say, which would be awesome. That movie will be absolutely incredible if from the time they start it, he is nothing but a bad person. Oh, yeah. Instead of having yeah. him be like a good person who wants to avenge his dad and then or, he turns dark or whatever. Yeah. That may be, to me, because that, that's what you expect because you know he ends up being a bad guy. If they can keep him dark from frame one, and somehow make it interesting and make you like, oh, it's kind of interesting what this guy's doing. I think that would be that would be an interesting movie. The other thing I've, I've read that supposedly it also explores the world of the bounty hunters, which, you know, we got introduced to the whole bunch of bounty hunters in Empire Strikes Back right. just with little cameos. Oh, I can name kind of, some of them. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> making that its own little subculture within Star okay. Wars would actually be really cool as well. That that could be. You know, here's the thing with Star Wars. It's the part of my childhood that's still sacred. Lucas, you know, despite how you feel about it, he didn't manage to totally ruin it for me. There's still, it's still there. But what I'm worried about is because now they've got so many movies planned out that I'm going to, it, it makes me sad 
to think that I'm going to talk about a Star Wars movie the way I just talked about the Avengers movie because there have been so many superhero movies. I honestly think I'm not sure I can like a superhero movie anymore, like more than just three stars, because I think I have superhero fatigue. It's a diagnosable Mm. condition, and I think I have it. I just... Well, it's going to take somebody doing something different. Absolutely amazing and doing something completely different. And I just, and it's not their fault that I don't feel like people can do that. It's because it's a big money thing. Studios aren't going to give somebody that chance because they don't want them to ruin it. You know, taking a chance is taking a chance. It scares me that I'm going to come in here and sit down on this mic to talk about Rogue One and be like, (sighs) it was okay. It's three stars. I get the impression. I, I I hope I'm right on this. I get the impression that then by them treating this as an anthology series and assigning a different director with a different style to each film, the way they've that it's not like a sequel funneling off of each other. You can enjoy each film in its own merit, and that's it. And to me, that could be interesting. For example, you know, you've got um, uh, Gareth Edwards doing the first one. Ryan Johnson is doing the next installment of the. He's doing Star episode Wars eight, thing. right? Yep. Right. So at least each film they're doing each year is going to have a different voice and character or, or uh, director to it, which I think is a, is a good step in the right direction. Unlike a lot of the superhero movies, it's typically, hey, if the first director worked, let's use him again. And everything's more of a continuation of one story where I hope what I'm getting the impression of is I don't necessarily know if seven and eight are going to be just a continuation of one single story. Mm-hmm. You think about episode four, five, and six were really three different stories. Right. There just happened to be a couple of inter- interconnecting thread- plot lines going between them. Sure. So I think we got a good chance at actually seeing something interesting with the way they're crafting their universe. My concern is like yours is that with a film every year, yeah. with a TV show going on with their animated shows, and they've talked about some other things they're doing as well, I just hope we just don't get so overwhelmed by it that it doesn't become such a special event when it does happen. Right. That's that's my only concern with that. Uh, Josh Trank is the one who was supposed to do the Boba Fett film but has now stepped away. He did Chronicle, right? He did Chronicle. Now, here's a little insider news here for those of you who don't follow the trades. Um, (laughs) Josh Trank did the film Chronicle, which got a lot of good buzz, made pretty good money, and actually got him a little bit of cred in the filmmaking world. And I think you had it as one of your recommendations on this show. I did. I I did because I thought it was an interesting take on the – origin of a superhero type of thing and i caught up with it and loved it you loved it yeah okay so supposedly he was he just finished up the newest fantastic four film that's gonna be coming out later this summer right right supposedly this is all hearsay and i think the whole boba fett now him not on that project anymore might reaffirm that supposedly the production on fantastic four did not go very well really supposedly mr trank has built a reputation of not being a very good director to work with hmm. and that's but what i heard is that for moviegoers, he was, that can actually be a good thing it could be but everything i heard about it was basically saying that it was chaotic it was you know he would there would be days he didn't show up he wouldn't be on set whatever we'd have no idea what fantastic four looks like as a film you know what's interesting mm-hmm. we're gonna really go off the road but i had no desire to see that movie mm-hmm. even with josh trank assigned to it i didn't have a desire hearing that Makes me a little interested. I don't think I've seen... They've released a couple of previews. I think I've only seen like a teaser that didn't really show much. My son was Mm -hmm. mentioning something the other day. I think after Age of Ultron, we Mm -hmm. didn't see the preview for Fantastic Four, but he at some point had seen it, and he's like, man, that looks scary. That looks really dark. And I was like, oh, yeah. And, you know, he kind of was like, yeah, you know, it just doesn't look like, you know, the Avengers. And I was like, oh, huh. Still didn't seek the trailer out, but I have to admit, I'm like, all right. Well, supposedly it was really interesting. 20th Century Fox 
made the Fantastic Four movie. They owned the property. Gotcha. It went for the longest time where nobody saw anything from it. This is a day and age where a year in advance, people are seeing footage from a film they're trying to hype. It really wasn't until about a month or two ago that anybody saw anything from Fantastic Four. And that's coming out in like July or August. And Miles Teller's involved. Miles Teller's in it. Uh, Gosh, who, um, shoot, he was in the film that you really liked. uh, um, Fruitvale Station? Yes, Fruitvale Station. Who was in uh, Fruitvale Station? Michael Jordan. Yes. And, and not uh, the basketball player. Right. And then Kate, um, Kate Mira. Okay. So it's a, it's a really interesting cast. I saw the latest trailer and yeah, it does look does very it look intense. Has Dr. Doom in it? Yes. Yes. Okay. But it's definitely dark, very intense. Okay. Um, could be an interesting film. The rumor is though right now that of course now it's just convenient that a couple months before Fantastic Four comes out, Josh Trank steps away from the Boba Fett project the rumors are is that Disney and all that have seen Fantastic Four or heard about the issues or like, no, we don't want a part of that. Huh. So I don't know. Fantastic Four could be a train wreck or it could actually be, like you say, one of those movies that just worked, even though it was blood, sweat and tears to get it. Hmm. Um, but either way, Josh Trank is not on the, the Boba Fett movie anymore. So I don't know who the director is at this point. They haven't named a, a replacement. So uh, Interesting. Yeah. Wow. We really covered that a lot more than I expected yeah, I us to. Yeah. Um, so that was the two news items I wanted to bring up. Now, Chris, let's change gears a little bit. You and sure. I just a few weeks ago visited the River Run Film Festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina for a couple weekends to see some films. Uh, we both went at different times so we could experience some different films while we were there. Now, granted, with a big festival like River Run, you can't see all the films. I mean, we get to see like a small percentage of them. Right. But we did at least both of us go for a full like two to three days and really squeeze in as many films as we could. We don't have time to talk about all the films we saw those weekends, but how about let's just kind of highlight maybe the three I can do of three. them that we really felt like stood out for us. Or we think for you guys listening, chances are it may be hard to see these films in any kind of capacity for a little while. But if you have a chance or you hear about them, these are ones we do think you ought to check out if you have an opportunity, either at a festival in your area or maybe if you, they are released online or video on demand or something like that. Chris, what's one of the ones that really stood out for you the, of the ones you saw? Um, it was one called The Chinese Mayor, and mm-hmm. it was a documentary. Um, the director's name is Zhu Hao. I believe mm-hmm. that's how you say it. Um, but basically, it shows this mayor of a, a city in Imperial China, and he his dream – this this city, you know, is China. They're struggling through financial times. Or they have, you know, obviously a huge population. There is a large segment of it that's poor. And his thinking is what, how he's going to do to turn this thing around is he's going to create tourism and basically create a recreation of an imperial city, how it used to be like, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago or whatever in China. And you're spending all this money and – um, a lot of people are having their homes demolished to make way for this. But at the same time, this mayor is convinced what he's doing is right. Mm-hmm. He still meets with people that have grievances, like some poor farmers that will come up to him and they'll be waving documents in his face. Like, if you could only sign this, my kids could finally go to school. And he'll be like, oh, I had no idea. He'll listen to their problems and he'll sign it. Mm-hmm. The grand, the camera's there. But, you know, it's it's just a really interesting document of something that's going on in China and amazingly, the documentarian person, the director, had full access to this dude. Wow. So, That's impressive. And it doesn't always paint him. It paints him in a very honest light. 
And sometimes he says things that contradict himself, but yet he knows this person has been sitting there documenting it. It's just, it is, it's a really interesting document, documentary about politics, but also about Chinese society and about, you know, someone thinking they're doing the right thing. Maybe some tough choices are having to be made, but it's just, it's really fascinating. Um, I don't know when you might have an opportunity to see it, like you said, mm-hmm. but it's called The Chinese Mayor. And I, Interesting. It's good. I, I hate that I didn't get a chance to see that. I think it did have a screening the weekend I was there, and I just couldn't make it because of, I think, this film that I'm going to mention. <laughs> um, I saw a documentary as well uh, that I know you are also very much looking forward to seeing, The Look of Silence. Ah. This is Joshua Oppenheimer's, I don't even call it a sequel. It's a, it's a companion film to... The Act of Killing. Which we reviewed on the show. We did. We, we, we reviewed it. We both really admired it. Mainly because, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with his work, he basically spent, uh, in the first film, The Act of Killing, it was him following and interviewing uh, perpetrators of an Indonesian genocide back in the last 20 years, 20, 30 years, where he's, uh, Joshua Oppenheimer's following them under the auspice of he's making a documentary about them to kind of make them the heroes that they are because they are still revered as heroes by some of the culture there in Indonesia uh, because they supposedly rid the country of communists by mass murdering anybody that was suspected of being a communist. And the, yeah, what made that film interesting? Well, I mean, it was interesting just because of what you described, but he would allow them to choose how they want to reenact these grand yeah. air quotes here, grand deeds of what they did. In, of mass genocide. Of mass murder. genocide. And, so, and it's, yeah. it was a harrowing, harrowing Troubling. film. But it did kind of come to a point where, you know, you had some of these mass murderers, these these sanctioned mass murderers, kind of confronted a little bit with what they had done. And there's an ending sequence with one of the main people he's been following that's just gut-wrenching to watch, but yeah. also very powerful. Is that the rooftop one? Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, the look of silence, I will say, not as good as the act of killing. Okay. It's almost like when you have a, an, a, an artist who put out an album that just is a classic album, and then they shortly follow it up with an album that's kind of like B-sides and maybe mm-hmm. things that were made during the recording session of that big album, but not quite as good as that big album, but enough good stuff to put together into its own, own album. Gotcha. That's what the look of silence is. It's the same kind of general idea. It's the same genocide in Indonesia that he's focusing on. But this time he turns the cameras a little bit differently where he is following someone whose brother was killed in the genocide as he goes to interview people that are either related or were involved in that that act. Hmm. He's confronting them, and Joshua Oppenheimer is almost the silent cameraman at this point. Okay. Watching this dialogue and watching this 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 uh, this family member go and confront these people. Hmm. It's not as compelling okay. as the way it was done in the first film. There are some moments, especially one confrontation late in the film, where he is talking to an entire family of one of the the uh, murderers, the, hmm. the, the the genocide artist, confronting them about what their father did, I and see. it gets extremely tense and extremely explosive. Wow. Um, but other than some moments that are just it's still devastating to watch this man watching footage of these killers talking about their deeds, which is basically circular. He's watching some of the footage that Oppenheimer used in Act of Killing. He's watching it and it's now affecting him because this was one of his family members that was killed in this genocide. 
So it's 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 almost like the B side of Active Killing. It's still worth a watch by all gotcha. means. It's just did not quite have the powerful impact that the first film did. Okay. But um, it's amazing to think that the access Oppenheimer had. Um, one thing I'll just say about this film I thought was really interesting is that towards the end when when he goes to confront this one family and it's two brothers and the mother and they're all there talking with this gentleman the guy whose brother was killed in the genocide gotcha. and he's asking them he said hey, did you know your father did this did you know your father was involved with this they all start looking to the cameraman who's Joshua Oppenheimer the director and say Josh we really liked you and but I don't understand why you're putting us in this position kind of thing so again, it kind of speaks this point that Josh actually developed connections with all these people and relationships, and they maybe started to feel a little betrayed at this point about him bringing in this person to interview them in their home. Mm. So it's just a really interesting because in the first, sense of documentary. And in the first film, that kind of came into play too because some of those people would direct towards the camera. They would say like, well, Josh, what are yeah. we doing here? Yeah. So huh. he's obviously very well known with all these people, but he's – gotten himself in the mix and documenting everything and putting it out in a very harrowing piece of film. So again, a good work to check out. Just don't expect it to be as profound as active killing was. Sure. But still worth, worth checking. Absolutely. Excellent. What's another film you saw that you really were uh, uh, impacted by? Um, I, as I've documented here on the show, I think I've recommended two of his films. Quentin Depew, he is a French filmmaker. (laughs) He made rubber. Oh yes. And he also made wrong. Um, I will go on record as saying if anybody did seek out the film Rubber after hearing our review of it a few years ago, probably can't forget that film. (laughs) It's the one about the tire that rolls around killing people. Killing people with psychotic mind powers. Yes. Yes. So um, (laughs) his latest film is called Reality. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read you what is, I guess, a synopsis. Okay. A horror director must find the perfect scream in 48 hours to get his film produced. The perfect scream? The perfect scream. Okay. So, uh, and basically, it's the guy who's been a cameraman for his life, and then he gets a chance to pitch his film to a typical Hollywood executive. And the executive, who doesn't seem to be paying much attention, finally ends up saying, you know what? In horror movies, what I hate are the screams. They're never realistic. If you can find me the most realistic scream in the history of film, I will make your movie. Mm -hmm. So that is the setup, I guess, Mm -hmm. for this movie. But this movie is so... I loved it, obviously. That's why I'm recommending it. But the title really says more about what this movie's about, Mm -hmm. is reality. What is real? What is not real? In the realm of Hollywood, in the realm of movies, there's so many different layers to this movie. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, at the end of it, you're kind of like, okay, was that part of dream sequence? Mm -hmm. Or was that real? But it is such a satisfying ride and it is a ride i really 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 um liked the movie so all right i uh i recommend my brain is still not quite recovered from seeing rubber (laughs) but when it does i think i will seek this movie out and give it a whirl so well this uh yeah i would say maybe this is a little bit more accessible maybe Hmm. but um man it's fun okay I, i do look forward to it i did enjoy rubber i just it was perplexing but i enjoyed it so okay um okay well mine Nothing perplexing about this film. This is pretty <laughs> straightforward. Okay. Uh, Proud Citizen by Thomas Sutherland, uh, filmed up in Kentucky, which was nice because it actually, you know, used locate you know local locales and it just felt very natural in its environment there. 
Uh, it's the story of a Bulgarian woman who wins second place. That's key. Second, <laughs> second place, place in a playwriting <laughs> contest. So basically, it's one of those deals where she wrote a play, uh, a theater, uh, uh, um, I guess, contest in America selected her second, which means it is going to be put on by a play company in the United States. But because it's second, it's a little smaller community play, play, not a big Broadway play production. Right. So she travels to that town in Kentucky where they're going to be putting on her play as part of this contest. And basically, you're just following her as she's traveling to America, never been here before, experiencing Southern hospitality, uh, having contact with a lot of different interesting characters within her trip here. It's a very, it's fun. It's heartwarming. It's got some interesting uh, moments, a couple of moments of drama in there. But it's just her, her character itself is just so engaging to watch. And she's so natural with it. Kind of find out, and this is not a, based on necessarily a 100% true story. It was written by Thomas Sutherland and the woman playing the Bulgarian woman. Okay. She's documenting this as something that she experienced when she came to America herself. Okay. Is that even though she didn't come on a playwriting contest, she did come to America and she felt a very odd sense of welcome. And, you know, you expect this whole everybody's going to embrace the new foreign person in town. And it's not really that case. And that's what the film's kind of showing. Right. So I think she's a radio host now and does a lot of things in the Kentucky area. Oh, interesting. But she helped write the story about somebody in her situation coming to America and finding a very interesting situation to be exposed to. Hmm. It's all shot in black and white. I'm not sure the reason for it, other than I know afterwards in the Q&A, Thomas Sutherland just said that, they shot it in color, and then they, when they looked at it in black and white, they're like, no, we like it better in black and white. It's fine. It works. I don't think there's any reason for it being black and white. I thought color might have actually added a little bit to the film. But um, it is a good film. I, I actually really did enjoy it. And uh, it's, uh, it's supposedly he's working on a new film, which I'm also very intrigued to see in the coming months. So uh, Proud Citizen, definitely one I think is uh, worth checking out. Okay. For my third and final film... It's from director James Strauss, which I'm not really familiar a lot with his work, but it is a comedy called People, Places, and Things, and it stars Jemaine Clement. Oh, okay. So there's probably, of the three movies that I've mentioned, this is the one that could conceivably get a release, but you know mm. we're up against Avengers Age of Ultron and Fantastic Four and all the other summer sequel stuff. But it could come out in the fall or winter. So, so. Yeah, it, yeah, it may. Um, basically, it's the story of a dad who is newly divorced and he's struggling trying to keep his career going. He's a graphic novelist and he lives in New York and he has these two young daughters and he's trying to juggle his career, but also trying to enter the dating world again Mm -hmm. because, you know, he's lonely. Yeah. That sounds like it would just be stereotypical garbage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it's not. And it's very, it's nuanced. And even though I guess you can, kind of predict some things it's just a really enjoyable movie nice and i think a lot of what that centers around is the fact jermaine clement is so awesome when he's given good material and Mm -hmm. this is definitely good material and the way he delivers you know because fly the concords kind of his understated wry sense of humor and Mm -hmm. it's just on full display and i would hope this movie does get distribution and then Mm -hmm. he really gets latched onto and given other work in this same vein, but who nice. knows, but good people, places and things. Okay. Awesome. We'll definitely keep an eye out for that one. My last one I'm going to bring up was one. I, I do say is my favorite of the festival just because I think it was 
my, the most interesting for me, but somehow it just connected with me. And I, I know in retrospect, a lot of people will probably see it and not get the same connection I got, but I still think it's worth uh, exploring. It's called God Bless the Child. It's by directors Robert uh, Mashoyan and Rodrigo Ojega Beck. And um, I believe out in Sacramento, California, I met the guys after the screening as well. Okay. They uh, basically it's following a family, uh, five siblings, in a little town in California, that. Um, the movie just opens with a pretty simple premise where the, the kids are all at the house. It's a small house. It's not the most affluent family in the world. And the mother gets in a car and drives off. And the rest of the film is basically these kids all led by their oldest sister, who I believe is maybe supposed to be 13 in the film or so, 12 okay. to 13, who's taking care of them all. These are all young little kids. And the whole film is just them on their day when it appears that their mom has left them. Gotcha. She, the mom left a note. Hey, here's how to reach grandmother. Things go wrong. I'm sorry, basically. And that's the only real plot going on in the film. Wow. The rest of it is just these five kids making their way through the day. And, uh, you know, there's nothing extraordinarily plot driven about it. Uh, I mean, it does circle back in the end where you do kind of get an understanding of what's going on and what's happened. But, what I really, really loved about this film is, A, you've got child actors who, right away, that's a challenge. Yeah, but these five kids, A, they really are all siblings. Okay? Okay. They are all family members. So that helps a lot. But watching these kids, it's all natural, almost like – it's almost like if um, Terrence Malick was shooting a home video of his family, mm. his kids growing up. This is what this would look like. <laughs> the photography – the cinematography outstanding wow. to watch where I almost felt like I was watching a Malick film at times, Wow! but it's real and it's just true life. I mean, these kids are fighting one another at times and they're really fighting. I mean, it's not like play fighting, punching or whatever for the camera. I mean, they're just going to town on each other. Hmm. You've got them washing a dog. You got them taking a walk out to the park. You've got the kids occasionally asking, where's mom? When's mom coming back? You've got the, the oldest daughter, who you know wants to have a life and kind of is interested in a kid in the park and they have some time together, but yet she's still got to go back and take care of the kids. Hmm. And it's just one of the kids is a real rebel and just, you know, smart talking to people he sees and getting in trouble. But the fact that all this was captured, I think the kids were just left to be themselves and it shows on camera. They all have personalities that we pick up on right away. And it was just a fun, interesting film to watch. And the whole framework is, is a day. Yeah, okay. one day. One day. And uh, okay. yeah, the end of the film happens kind of at dusk. And okay. uh, again, it just it does kind of close up the movie. But some people could write it off as very inconsequential. Write it off as just hey, these guys just got these kids to go off and just be themselves all day. Yeah, they probably did do that. But the way they shot it, the way they presented it, the way they pieced it together into a movie that actually had a beginning and end. I thought it was really impressive. So okay. I really, really like this film. It's not for everybody, but I think if nothing else, if you can get past the fact that you're not expecting a story, go in just to absorb it and just kind of let it flow all over you. I think it's a great film. So cool. So we saw a lot of good ones at River Run. I we mean, did. I didn't even mention a couple others I thought were just great. And maybe I'll try to write those up somewhere. I've listed them at least on Letterboxd, the ones I've seen. And I think I need to put them into a little River Run list as well. Um, a lot of good films. I was actually pretty impressed this year with the quality of films I saw in general. Uh, I don't know if you felt the same way or not. Yeah, so. I thought it was definitely a strong year. Yeah. Run. Absolutely. So we love seeing these films. Uh, we hope to see some of them again soon. 
And uh, we'll definitely keep you posted if there's opportunities, maybe as these come available over the coming months, uh, it could be an opportunity to let you know if they come online, right. maybe Amazon picks them up or Hulu or somebody else who knows. So, all right, Chris, it's time to move on to the final part of our show, the okay. recommendations. This is where we like to re- recommend something for you to check out. Typically it's a movie or something that you can find online or uh, Netflix, uh, maybe rent through Apple iTunes, somewhere like that. Chris, mine is not, I'll go ahead and tell you, it is not really a film. Oh, I'm just going to go and break a little of the mold. I think I've done this before, but I'm sorry. I'm recommending something that if it was a film, it would be freaking awesome (laughs) as it is now. It is, it is a TV show in a way. Uh, it's a 13 episode TV show that Netflix put out. Okay. If there was a way to compress this 13 hours into a two and a half hour movie, it would be to me phenomenal. And I I don't think you've seen it yet. But I'm talking about, and this is my tie-in a little bit to the Avengers movie, it's Daredevil. Uh-huh. Have you seen any of these yet? I have not, but I have heard, I have heard opinions on both sides of the scale. Okay. Some people saying it is like bloated, horrible, boring, and then some people saying they like it. So I'm assuming uh, you're on the like it scale. Oh, I definitely am <laughs> on the like it scale. Okay. It, um, it has its peaks and valleys. I mean, it is 13 episodes, and I think that some, some of it stretched out a lot more over 13 episodes than it should be. But... This is Daredevil, which is another comic book character from Marvel. But man, if you could, if you would have told me that this is part of the Marvel universe after seeing all the other Marvel movies, I would not have believed it. Hmm. Not only is this dark, extremely violent. I'm just going to tell you, it is one of the most violent TV shows I've seen. And the fact that the guy doesn't even put on a costume, a true costume, until the last episode of the of the, of the show, hmm. the last 20 minutes, basically. It really is a, a evolution of a very ground level vigilante. The fight scenes on some of the episodes are extraordinarily shot and just really, really well made. Okay. Uh, you basically have Charlie Cox, who's actually British, playing an American guy, which there seems to be a whole proliferation of those these, these days. <laughs> uh, he plays Matt Murdock, who is Daredevil. He's blind. He's blinded as a kid at like age 10 or 11. Um, develops a heightened sense of, of radar sense, but that's never really touched on in the show. Hmm. You know, you can hear things and see things a lot more or pick up on things a lot more than anybody else can, but it's never this whole, yes, I have this superpower and I can do this kind of radar sense. No, it's just kind of implied that, Hey, he's hearing something a block away. He's hearing something several flights up uh, from him. He's sensing where this person is in front of him. So it's handled really, really, like, realistically, I guess. Okay. Uh, Debran Wolf plays uh, Karen Page. Um, you've got Eldon Henson, who I didn't know anything about, but he plays Foggy Nelson, his, par- his law partner. Foggy Nelson. Foggy Nelson. Okay. Oh, yeah. These are 1960s names. Hey, kudos that, to them for sticking with Foggy oh, Nelson. Oh, they did. It's Foggy Nelson. Okay. And, uh, but the biggest revelation of the show is Vincent D'Onofrio okay. as the kingpin. He is the big bad guy. The kingpin in the comics is this big, gigantic, bald guy that's just – the whole argument I've ever heard is he's not fat. It's all muscle type of thing. And he's just a big hulk of muscle that's really, really strong. You know. But in this show, they play him as this extremely interesting character where he's both timid and shy but then has explosive moments of violence and you learn more from his childhood why he is that way. Huh. He's actually like trying to win the affection of a girl he met and he's really insecure about that. But yet he's also running this criminal underworld and it's not played for laughs. This is a very, very serious show, Hmm. but man, his character 
it's really terrifying to watch him at times. And okay. uh, I think the show's awesome. All I right. will admit, some of the later episodes before you get to the end, it starts to drag a little bit. It gets stretched out a lot more than it should be. But the first four or five episodes, really, really good. The last couple are also really good. Um, I just think it's a great show. Not for the kiddies. Absolutely <laughs> not for the kiddies. This one is a very, very hardcore show. Okay. But uh, I think well worth checking out if you want something a little different than your typical. This may be the kind of thing, Chris, that gets you excited about what comic book movies could be. Could be. Okay. If you're saying that you don't think you can watch another superhero movie right now, this may be the anti antithesis of it in a okay. way for you to kind of cleanse that palate. Hmm. Just be prepared of the violence. It is a little shocking at times. So. Okay. Yeah. So what's your recommendation? My recommendation is a film from 2014 that came out, I think, in hopes of maybe getting a foreign film nomination, but it didn't. Mm. And I think actually the director, I don't know whether it was legitimate or not, but he actually had kind of a breakdown that this didn't get nominated for Best Foreign Film. Oh, really? Um, but it's Force Majeure. Ah, yes. Mm. And the director, yeah, uh, is Ruben Ostland. And... It's about a family that's on a ski holiday in the French Alps, and there's an avalanche while they're trying to have lunch one day. And the aftermath of what happens after that avalanche is the rest of the film. It is not a fast-paced film. It's Mm -hmm. two hours, but it is all about people and how they deal with situations. Their perception of how they dealt with the situation, whether Mm -hmm. or not that's how they dealt with it at all, to me, and because it takes place in the Alps, but it's this big, huge ski resort, it actually reminded me a lot of the Overlook Hotel and The Shining. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like The Shining, but done as a documentary of a family on vacation. Mm-hmm. And strip away like horror aspects as far as yeah. all the freaky stuff. But man, was it interesting. And I'm not quite sure, even though the ending seems pretty straightforward, I'm not exactly quite sure how to read it. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's always interesting. Though. Yeah, because I think there could be some discussion on, yeah, on how certain some events played out. Force so, majeure. Yeah, this was one that kind of got, you know, was surprisingly shunned as a Best Foreign Picture nomination, I remember, when the nominations came out. Yeah, and the, supposedly, I, from what I saw, I think on Twitter or something, the director was like really, really upset. So um, make him feel better. Seek this film out. It is streaming on Netflix. I think it's also possibly available on iTunes, but um, I, I recommend it. All I know is, <laughs> I just remember when I looked it up the other day, because I, I know it's on Netflix right now, I believe. Yeah. So that's, I, I was going to try to check it out soon too, but I just know I, I did look on Letterboxd. I saw the one-line review from somebody it says, this is why I don't go skiing. Never go skiing, you guys. <laughs> that was the whole review. That's... I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm interested. I'm good. So. <laughs> Is it, and I remember correctly in hearing it's got a little bit of a, a Michael Haneke feel to it in a way. I mean, is that fair to say or is that just something somebody threw out at one point? Um, yeah, I could see um, Michael Haneke, like, you know, the shot composition yeah. and also a very kind of stark reality of mm. humanity. Okay. Um, and there are some elements in this that I guess you could say are funny, but yeah. they're not. I mean, because okay. you kind of like... Ooh, you feel bad for the person on very the screen. Dark but it's humor in dark, a way. Yeah. Yes, definitely a very dark, dark yeah. Uh, humor. So yeah, I could see how people would say it could be a Haneke film. Well, I, I've I've been wanting to see it. It's actually on my my queued list on Netflix to watch at some point soon. So definitely more encouraged now to catch up with it. So okay. wow, we actually covered a lot in this show, Chris. If yes. you really think about it. Lots so of a review of Avengers: Age of Ultron. I was fairly positive on it. Chris was okay with it. 
said it was a little better than the first one. So uh, I felt about the same way as I did with the first one. Uh, but we both, however, did like the documentary Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. I think right. it's well worth checking out. Uh, we talked about some movie news with Star Wars spinoff movies. We talked about the latest Coen Brothers film that's going to be coming out. I think this winter is when it's coming out. I'm not quite sure. I think you're right about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, we also recapped our uh, River Run Film Festival experience and then picked out six films that you may want to keep on your radar in the coming months in case they make it to uh, distribution in any way, shape, or form. Then we had our recommendations where Chris's is Force Majeure. Mine is the Daredevil Netflix series uh, we think you ought to check out. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. It'll be a couple more weeks. We'll have another episode with a couple more reviews and talk about some other movie-related things as well. Uh, if you want some more information about the Foot Candle Film Festival, please go to footcandle.org and follow the link from there, and that'll give you all the information you need to know whether you're going to be a film submission for us. Sometime, hopefully by, uh, we're hoping by early June, we can get those all in. So right. by the time you're listening to this, I would say early June is kind of the ideal time frame to try to get that in at the latest. Or if you plan to come join us in the fall, the last weekend of September, to come join us to be a part of the festival, we'd love to have you. But Chris, if they want, outside of the festival, if they want to reach out to us in any other ways, what, what do you recommend they do? If you're interested in dropping us a note about the show, you could also always do that at info at themesh.tv, as well as you can check out past episodes of our show on The Mesh. And other shows are available there as well, like Chick Chat that talks like, you know, a bunch of ladies sitting around having fun talking about issues. And speaking of that show. Yeah, I thought I knew you were going to bring this up. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Alan and I have agreed to kind of do a joint show with them where we're going to talk about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Because it being a ladies show where they sit around and talk, they have mentioned that movie. So we kind of agreed to do a joint show where we would... We would actually uh, watch that. So that there's that as well. As Did the, we sign anything on that? I mean, is that like a locked in type of thing? I think once you say it on air, you're like Jeez. you're bound to do it. So. I got to really watch what we say <laughs> online nowadays. So so there's yeah. that. But so you, we're gonna watch. Yeah, so we're gonna watch Fifty Shades of Grey, and we gotta, and then we're gonna have a little uh, conversation with the Chick Chat girls about it, and give them our film snob opinion. <laughs> While right. they tell us how great it was and we must have missed it. So. Right. Or maybe it will be completely opposite. Maybe yeah, they hated yeah. it and we actually find some redeeming film value to it. So. Right, because I think it's safe to say we have not read the books. No. Um, I'm speaking for Alan not knowing, but I'm pretty sure he hasn't. No. Whereas I think they have. So, you know, there will be coming out with I don't read books in general, Chris. <laughs> but if I had to read books, <laughs> this would not probably one. would be towards the bottom of the list of things I would ever consider. So Understood. Yeah. yeah. Just not my cup of tea. So, uh, also... Alan and I are both on uh, Letterboxd, which yes. is a site that you can go on and like rate movies. So if you're interested in the movies that we're watching that we don't talk about on the show, you can go there. And that's Letterboxd without the E. So it's just B-O-X-D. dot com. Yeah, just search for uh, Chris Fry, Alan Jackson. You can find us and follow the films we're watching. And hey, you know what? We'd love to hear your thoughts on any reviews or anything else that we've been talking about. So you can do that through Letterboxd or, or like Chris mentioned on the website anyway. Just give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And there's also this thing that people, you may have heard people talk about called iTunes. And iTunes mm. lets you subscribe to podcasts. Oh, interesting. Um, so huh. if you feel like you're feeling generous and you want to do like a good turn for the day, go to iTunes, find our podcast. If you're not already subscribed, please do so. And while you're there, it's really easy. You could write a little review, or if you don't feel like typing the keys that much, just rate us with a star rating, and that would also be kind that of That is cool. true. If it's the end of a long work day, 
You've been typing all day. You're like, you know what? I don't want to type anymore. You can just click on a star. That's right. Just give us a star we rating. We encourage you to give One us click. more stars. But well, you know. yeah, we would prefer <laughs> that. But I mean, I'd rather you give us what you feel like we deserve. It just it's one click. One click. Subscribe. One click. Star rating. Done. You can do it. You're done. You don't have to type <laughs> anything else. You've saved all your finger energy for uh, eating dinner or remote controlling your TV at home, whatever it may be. So. There you go. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. We will be with you next time with another episode of Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.